Hello and welcome to Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's World Cup special podcast series. Throughout the World Cup, we're going to be bringing you guests talking about the World Cup, the matches that they've seen. We're going to be chatting to coaches. We're going to be chatting to players at a grassroots level to see how inspired they're feeling about all the World Cup events. It's all going to be right here on Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine's special World Cup podcast series. This week on the pod with Eamon living it up and coaching over in France, I've invited my coaching bestie Andy Stevens on. We're going to chat about our relationship and how it helps improve each other's coaching. We're going to be speaking to members of the women's team that I coach down at Huddersfield. We're going to be finding out their thoughts on training and on the Rugby World Cup. And finally, we're going to learn all about women's rugby history through the lens of the Utrecht Shield. Let's get into it. So hello, Andy. Uh, Welcome to the pod. Uh, You and I chat, I think, daily, hourly every minute um but would you just introduce yourself for the for the listeners who don't have that relationship with you what the, the those listeners that haven't melted whatsapp on various occasions yeah. <laughs> yeah that whatsapp server problem the other day i think that was us wasn't it i think it was yeah <laughs> yeah so uh yeah andy stevens um coach down at ellingham ringwood in hampshire um primarily started off coaching my son's age group probably 10 years ago now uh moved on um started helping out with the girls when I got involved with the All Schools programme at three of our local schools, which is brilliant fun in introducing girls who never played rugby before to the, the great game. And, and it just kind of blossomed from there, really. Then got involved with well, like them being the link to clubs and got involved with the club coaching. And, and ultimately, the last few months, I've ended up in the, the New England Rugby Under-16 developing player programme for the girls. So it's been quite a nice progress really for me from dad coach involved my son to suddenly helping all these other people introduce them to the game that it turns out that they that they love as well it's um it's been quite a journey nice and that the under 16s um dpp setup is is new do you want to kind of explain i guess for people that aren't in this country i don't think we have that many international listeners <laughs> you know but for the <laughs> for those for those that maybe don't know what it is what's that it's brand new what's it look like and what's it feel like for for you guys on the ground it's, it's interesting it's a whole new setup so they've kind of taken away the county setup so now each constituent body so each county or you know or body has its own um developing player program so we as hampshire club hampshire have trialed the under 16 girls and we've got a squad now of 41 I think it is girls that we're going to take forward so it's really nice that it's managed and looked after by England rugby as well so there's constant e-learning opportunities when we had a section e-learning course about principles of selection uh, a key part of that within the selection was also the deselection and how to let people out as it were and um, there's another one I just did yesterday all around coaching athletic skills and how to add those into sessions and it's kind of that it's not just right you're a half decent coach go and coach you know can you coach the stop for county it's actually a progression so it's the entry level point to the red roses essentially and um, which i mentioned to a couple of the girls at our club the other week because it's, it's really nice that i mentioned the all school so two of the girls i introduced to rugby through the all schools program are now in the developing player program and i said do you realize this is actually 
the bottom rung of the pyramid to play for England. And they almost freaked because they hadn't realised that A, that they were that good, or B, that there was this kind of setup actually available. Um, so I think now instead of just, it used to be kind of you know, one county play another county, and if you're good enough, you might get, as you get into under 18s, you might end into the centre of excellence and get a bit of sort of higher quality exposure. I think it's just that broader base now that every constituent body, so every county is operating on the same level with the same education for the coaches, the same opportunities, and we're all working in the same direction. It's just that kind of nice cohesive feel to it. It's, it feels really good. And, and that's massively important. I think the coach coach development part of it has to be important as well because we can't just focus ourselves on, on yeah, upskilling the players and, and growing yeah. the players. We have to grow and invest in our coaches what have you that leads us nicely onto the red roses what and the world cup is in general have you i know time zones are tricky um i'm not looking forward <laughs> yes, to the, <laughs> like the 3 a.m or something one we've got for England. super snoozy yeah. sunday yeah i know um have you watched much of the highlights or the clips or the matches so far and what's your kind of take on it and obviously we've got a home world cup coming up in 2025 as well yeah i mean i've i've Obviously, the, the time zones are a bit, a bit tricky. So it, it's also a bit of a shame that this time of year is mental for me with other stuff. But I have been recording as many games as I can and watching them. And I've really enjoyed it. And it, it's interesting that people ask, why do I coach girls and why do I coach boys? Yeah. I find the, the women's game actually more exciting to watch. It's, it seems more skillful. It's more about the evasion. Um, and it is more about that kind of open play as opposed to that prescriptive like we will now do this, followed by that, followed by that. It's a much freer to, um, to a version of the game. And I've really liked the fact that a lot of the games are a lot closer now. Yeah. You think back, I mean, first World Cup for the, you know, in 90, whenever it was for the men, there was, you know, there was sort of some massive sort of three-figure scores, um, which there were in, in the women's version as well. But that's kind of closed right down there. The quality is levelling across the world as the smaller nations, as it were, some smaller rugby nations get better. Um, and you think of some of the, the, the foreign internationals that are now playing in the, in the Prem, mm. it, it's going to help with that massively because they're going to take that back and it, not as well as take it back, they're going to influence you know, people in America and Canada and wherever to, to take up the sport and get involved. So I, th- I think it's really good. I've really enjoyed it. I wish I could have watched more, but unfortunately... I just, I just haven't had time. Um, but what I have watched, I've really enjoyed. Um, and there's been some really strong, um, yeah, really strong performances by teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be that strong. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, the likes of maybe Fiji or, or South mm. Africa have earned um, new fans. Um, it's another, another team to support and to look forward to, um, you know, when they come here in 2025. What, what I've also liked, I mean, you mentioned South Africa. I mean, Potentially the highlight for me so far in the World Cup was the England and the South Africa girls having a sing-song after the game. Yes, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's just that's just an amazing thing to see. Um, and it just shows that, yeah, it's a really combative sport, but we're mates, yeah. we're playing a game, we're having fun. Um, I mean, obviously ignoring the scoreline, but South Africa enjoyed it, enjoyed the experience, and what a way to finish it off. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree. And now now I know you've got some some ties with some of the Red Roses. Um, <laughs> might have, might have. 
as a as a mini claim to fame do you want to go into some of those stories how you know them and and I think how they've had an impact on girls playing at clubs and an impact on you yeah sure I mean it's we've got it, it's interesting because we're we're actually uh, arranging for an international honours board to go up in the clubhouse which is going to be quite one-sided towards the female game which is uh, interesting and amusing at the same time um I mean, we've got, so Phoebe Murray, she was capped at age grade, grade for England. Uh, Alicia Maud has just gone back into the seven squad for England, which is great. Um, so we've got Lisa McCormack, who plays for Scotland. Donna Rose in the World Cup for Wales. She started at Ellingham and Ringwood. Um, and then, of course, we've got the, the mighty Cleo twins. Um, I mean, it, it's brilliant that they, they come down to the club every now and then. So for us to see the game on the telly and then actually meet those players in person and they realise that, yeah, I was here. And then to see the pictures on the clubhouse wall of Poppy and Bryony, aged eight, in their club kit at Twickenham in the, the cup final that they were in at the time. And to then just see their progress and hear their progress and know the coaches that they had at the club and the people they've kept in touch with and all that kind of stuff, just it really helps just build that picture that, you know, international rugby or professional rugby is within your reach, which I think is a massive help for the girls. It's just such great role models to have. Because when they come down as well, you, you wouldn't know. I mean, if you took, obviously they're head to toe in stash, but if you took all the stash off them, you wouldn't know who they were because they're just ordinary people talking to the parents, talking to the kids, having a laugh. And it, it's just brilliant. It, again, it's just that leveller that shows that rugby is such a great game for everybody. You know, there's, there's no airs and graces. It's... It's just such great role models for the kids. It's brilliant. Yeah, and what I love, and I think women's rugby is probably leading or has led the way on this so far, is how accessible the players have been for their fans. So not not yeah. just going down to to local clubs or or revisiting their their original clubs, their first clubs, but equally just staying after fixtures. So I took yeah. Huddersfield women's team last year for the Six Nations game at Gloucester. And there were there were players doing laps of the pitch, making sure everybody had photos with. And one of my players is is a particular fan of Sarah Byrne. So when we called Sarah over and we got a group shot with her, I mean the player didn't stop. She, she didn't stop smiling for weeks. For you know, <laughs> I don't think she stopped smiling now. Her face is just lit up because there's her icon in front of her, smiling, asking how everybody is, and then taking a photo. I mean. It's it just it's brilliant that they're so accessible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when uh, Poppy made her first start for England against Canada, and so it was when England Samoa men played, and then you could stay on and watch the women afterwards. So we all there's quite a few of us from the club, and we all grouped together and sort of sat on the halfway line. I mean, the length of time the women's team were out on the pitch afterwards, just chatting to people, having photos, taking selfies, doing autographs. It's phenomenal, you know. It's, it's it's amazing, as you say. They're just so accessible, and and every time any of our girls go to any games, there's just the photos are getting shared left, right, and centre, and it's just I think it's brilliant. No matter whether it's a, a, a prem game or an international game or whatever, they're just always always accessible. And I think it's just it, again, it just I don't want to say normalises the game because obviously there's a, a bit of a difference between our under 16s and, and Poppy and Bryony and people like that, but it it does kind of break down those barriers. It's, um, it's really good and really helps encourage the people forward. I think. Yeah. 
Awesome. And and then speaking about, I suppose, breaking down barriers, I guess we should give some context in the fact that you and I have got um, a, quite a close relationship. You're my coaching bestie and it's referred to <laughs> on social media. We and have my, mentioned it a few times, yeah. <laughs> and we chat, we chat at least a couple of times a day, I would say. Oh, yeah. If we go yeah. a day without chatting to each other, but then it's the phone is lit up then the day after. Um I find it quite quite special in the fact that we're obviously we're a male and female coach and we chat about the barriers that each other faces um quite quite regularly. And I just wondered if you had any reflections on that because I find it really impactful. I share barriers that I encounter or or gender bias stuff, and then you empathize, sympathize, pick me up, and then you share a story of when you've had a struggle and I and I hope to to do the same that, that you do to me, which is pick me up. What what are your thoughts about it? Well, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we've as you say, we've we've both shared sort of troubles and challenges and and, and the positive stuff as well. You know, yeah. the success we've had. Um, I mean, there's, there's stuff that you shared me shared with me that are, you've picked up from the girls' game or your experiences with the girls' game that I've used with our girls, and it's made their experience better. Um, so I think it's it's interesting. I don't. I never, I never look at you and think you're a female coach, because obviously you are. But yeah. you're a coach. You're yeah. a coach. Yeah. Um, you, you coach the male game. You coach the female game. Um, I'm still fascinated in the differences between coaching um, teenage boys and teenage girls. I think it's brilliant, um, and it will always fascinate me because I think it's just the girls want that extra level of detail. Yeah. Um, boys think they know it. All right. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Well, if you've been listening properly, you might have done it. Yeah. Um, but the girls want that finite detail but then they'll do it i'll perform it so well so yeah i think i've taken so much away from our chats and it's it's maybe a much better more rounded coach and that's not just the coaching side of it it's the off-field stuff as well we're I mean, like all kind of welfare stuff of helping girls feel more comfortable in an environment i mean we've got the situation of so our club coaching it's an all-male coaching environment dpp at the moment um, we have got a female coach Hannah but she hasn't been able to make any of the sessions because of other commitments but it's a predominantly male coaching team again so those little things that you've sort of mentioned around you know the the female I don't want to say struggles but some of the issues that impact on females in, in training we've put into place for our girls and it has improved their experience which is you know I never would have done it if we hadn't had those chats and, and that's and that's awesome that, I mean, that's what, what would you say? Actually, I just wanted, to, I was going to ask you another question, but I wanted to go back to the, the differences between um, coaching teenage boys and teenage girls and the fact that the girls want the detail and the boys think they already know it. Do you think that's because mm-hmm. if we're, um, the women and girls game is still at a point at the moment where at that age group of under 16s, girls still have um, less playing time in the bank than than the teenage boys. Do you think it's just down to years spent in the game? Or do you think it's the difference between boys and girls simply in their teenage years? Well, yeah, I think it's um, it's almost that the early maturation aspect of it as well. Because thinking about it, I mean, I've got a photo of when, so when I started coaching, when Matthew was under sixes, actually under fives at the time, might have been under fours actually. Anyway, um, he was very, very young. But within that group was three or four of the girls that are still playing in under 16s. 
So they've been playing 10 years. Matt's been playing 10 years. So I don't think it's necessary that. I think it's just they want to do it better. Yeah. And there's not this kind of bravado. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, sort of reading um, Owen Eastwood and his belonging and all about the us and the them and the tribes and the alpha males and stuff. I still think there is that massive part of the the alpha male in any adolescent boy of, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can run it. How hard do you want me to hit that? How hard, how fast do you want me to run? How, you know, and that kind of stuff. Whereas the girls are very much like, they just want that detail as around to how to perform it better. Yeah. Um, I think it's it. I always think it was Mark Bennett, MBE, that sort of boiled it down into the nutshell of uh, girls want to get better, boys just want to batter. Yeah. And I think that's quite true that the boys, a lot of bravado, yeah, yeah, I know this, but. The girls, I say, even those that have been playing quite a while, still want to know the detail. How do I do it better? How can I be better? Um, please help me. And they're not open to that help me option as well. So that a lot of the, some of the boys are, can we practice this? And you try and give them the detail. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the girls will actually listen and watch and then they'll try it. And then we feed back and we have open conversations. And it's, it is quite different. It's quite interesting. And do you, does that mean that you you dramatically change your style of coaching because when I'm coaching women and girls there'll be a lot more of of questioning about why I've included something in a session or why somebody did that and it and it's a lot more explorative I guess have you been more than um action focused coaching I guess with the boys does your does your methodology change good question um because I've done it before where I've I've run a session with my, some of the college boys, under 18 boys. I've done a session. If you haven't had a game on a Wednesday, I've run a session with them on a Wednesday afternoon. Pretty much used the same stuff with the under 16 girls or the under 15 girls as they were then in the evening. And then also with the lads, the under 13s or 14s as they were on the Thursday. And I think, yeah, the approach does change because it is a little bit more around, it's probably slower. With yeah. the girls, not it doesn't sound a bit derogatory, but it's more more relaxed. Yeah, it's a bit more. Um, it's it's giving that information, knowing that they want the information, letting them ask all the questions, and get on with it. Whereas I mean, the boys, it is more a case of right, we're going to try this, and we got it, and they'll they'd rather. It's almost they'd rather do it wrong a couple of times, and then fix it, rather than the girls would take rather take that little bit longer and do it right so yeah i'm probably a bit more chilled and a little bit more yeah okay we've got it there girls do you need to ask you know, anything else you need to know should we give it a go then whereas the boys we probably would have done two or three reps by then and they would have got two of them wrong at least you know so, yeah i think it's yeah i hadn't really sort of sat back and thought about it that much but before but yeah reflecting it probably is it's that more considered more measured calmer approach i suppose yeah, I can hear, I can already hear some of the girls giggling at that concept though. <laughs> Me being calmer with them. <laughs> it's it's never it's never calm at my women and girls sessions. It's um, we're we're chaotic and I and I remember obviously I showed you those um, list of like our team is and they had to put and it was understanding yeah, yeah. Sport, all of that and then I had to I had to add chaotic onto the bottom because it, they didn't feel like that summarized us enough. It had to be chaotic and they are um, extremely um, dynamic at times and hilarious. 
um, to be honest. A player last night at training, um, she didn't tape up her ears or take her earrings out. She's a couple of weeks into the session and she just, I think she lost one of an earring on a tackle shield. I don't use shields that often, but we were using one last night. And so we spent about five minutes trying to look for this bit of the earring in the dark. Um, and one of my other players at the end of the reflection session said, um, because she saw loads of interesting things on the ground, like there was leaves, there was like a couple of mushrooms because we were near the river and that type oh, yeah. of thing. Nice. She saw a mushroom that looked like a bean sprout. Um, she said that that was the highlight of her session and the whole the whole group just burst into laughter because she was so fascinated with everything that she was finding on the ground. And that kind of sums up the the beauty of that group is there's some people yeah. that are like, yeah, I'm really enjoying the games or I really want some skill games or stuff like that. And then one player says, actually, my favorite bit was when I was saw all the different leaves and mushrooms on the on the ground by the river. Um, and that was my favorite bit of the session. I just thought that sums up the diversity of my group brilliantly. Um, 100%, 100%. I think it sums up you as that all-encompassing coach as well, because I, I could think of three coaches that would have had them running laps for that. You know. What, for the for a liking the mushroom bit or yeah, the yeah. earring? Either. Back to the men's environment. Yeah. No, no, I would never make... <laughs> you don't, do you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it? No. Wouldn't I don't, do it. I, I, there's no scenario where I would ever make them, them run laps as a any group run laps as a punishment. No, I think if no. I'm, you know, and, I, and to be very, really clear, I was made to, to run laps or run to the post. So when I first started coaching, before I started exploring my style, I've made players run to the post. Like, I think we've, I think, we've all that, been there. you know, we've all been, we've all been there. And, you yeah. know, in the first year after I stopped playing, I thought that's what coaching was. Um, but now I don't think there's ever ever a point where I would make a player or a team run to the post or or do laps because if I've done that then I've I guess I I see that as a failure that I've done rather than any failure that the the players have done I've I've not met yeah, them you, you, where they are yeah it's, it's shown you 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 don't have that link with your players you don't know your players um and you don't accept your players I think is part of that as well isn't it it's um but that, that's a that's an old school, new school uh, chat yeah. for another chat. It is. It is. <laughs> and I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of reflecting over the past, what, it's, um, year that we've, I guess our chats over the past year have really escalated and become that kind of daily interaction. And I've yeah. shared stuff with you about um, barriers that I encounter. Um were were you aware of of like gender bias in coaching and obviously it affects male and female coaches were you aware of that before we started chatting what what are your current reflections on that on that type of stuff yeah i mean i've i've, I've heard it before and i've seen it before um there's not that many female coaches at club um and i think it's there is that still that mindset that rugby is a men's game should be coached by men should be played by men um that is still out there and there's still that whole kind of condescending arm around the shoulder well you didn't do bad love kind of attitude which just makes my blood boil to be honest um but yeah i mean you, you did highlight that i mean i wasn't aware it was as bad as you know, some of the experiences you've had with it um but i think yeah it's always been there and i like to think off the back of the world cup and then potentially before 
the next World Cup, once we start to see that transition into more female coaches off the back of that, then that's just going to end up disappearing. I think it's um, it's one of those barriers that needs to go. I mean, it's funny that you, see, you as a coach investee, one of the people I've enjoyed coaching with the most at club is a female. Yeah. Um, and I still miss coaching with her. Uh, it's great that I'm going to end up doing some other stuff with her hopefully soon and the, the workforce side of it. But um, yeah, I've, I've had some great times with her, some great chats with you. Um, we need to coach together at some point. We do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think it's, I just don't understand how you can look at somebody and just dismiss their ability based on the gender or their race or ethnicity or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, as I said earlier, you know, I don't see you as a female coach or just Jess. You know, it's a bloody good coach. We share all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and long may that continue. You know, yeah. it's... Um... Yeah. And I, and I think anyone listening, I think I, I would say that I find our relationship really, like, invaluable to my coaching process. And I think oh, anyone that doesn't, doesn't have another person coaching to to chat to in the way that we chat to, I think go out there and find it. And I think it's, I, I kind of think it's, it's more beneficial that we coach at opposite ends of the country because it means I can tell you things about people and you don't know the people. Yeah. So no, yeah. you don't bring any prior judgment or anything like that. Or, you know, and, and I think likewise for anybody that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah exactly. um, or, you know, I, I think it really like what, I think it really benefits us that it's opposite ends of the country and and somewhat yeah, crossover environment, but also somewhat different environments. What yeah. would you say? Like, let's say somebody's wanting to go out there and and find this kind of um, coaching bestie chat relationship themselves. What? How do they go about doing that? What kind of person do you think they need to look for? Does it need to be opposites? Do they need to complement? What's What's your thoughts on it? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, straight away, I'll jump back. I think it was the, was it Rebel Ideas? There's a chapter all about echo chambers. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a dangerous topic. Yeah. You, you get involved in that. And I've, I've seen it, not so much recently, but I've seen it at a club where, and other clubs that we go to and come to us kind of thing, that you'll, you'll see the head coach and there's three or four copies of the head coach sort of milling around, which you need to contrast and compare you need to sort of check and challenge each other. So I think it's look for, I mean, we sort of find each other on social media, don't we? And then the, yeah. the pod, the infamous pod. Right. <laughs> um, so I think it's just finding somebody that you kind of like some of their ideas and some of the questions they're asking and who they're asking the questions of. Because um, you know, we're quite happy to ask a question of anybody. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's it's just seeing that kind of openness and that willingness to learn, willingness to adapt yourself, um, which is what you know attracted me to sort of your post, and I think probably vice versa. It's just the things we were asking, who we were asking, and the answers we were getting, and, and how we reacted to those answers. Um, if somebody was, if you see a post of somebody saying about you know specialising in front row for seven year olds. And you question it, and then they come back with, "You're an idiot." Then you don't really want to be hooking up with that sort of person. Whereas nice. somebody else who jumps in and questions it, and, but then looks at where well, you could do animal shapes, animal walks, stuff like that, to get them ready for when it starts to come in in a few years' time. That's different. That's somebody that I might then sort of start leading towards. So I think it's just 
there's a certain amount of luck as well. Yes, I think, I, think right I, I blame I blame Dan because he put us on that. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. On I that, didn't want to mention that, that haunted house. I, I, haven't, I haven't built him. I haven't built him for the therapy yet. Yeah, that was a good chat. That was a good chat. I mean, that, yeah. that was a start, wasn't it? That was the start it of the relationship. Blimey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. But I say, it's yeah. just that, it's just those different ideas. And that I think it's that willingness to be completely open as well. Yeah. You know, don't try and hide behind. I mean, I've we've had coaches at the club that said, oh, you do know I'm a level three. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Well done. You've got a badge. Can you please apply it? Because I'm not seeing much of it at the moment. You know, it's um, people who hide behind that kind of stuff. I think be wary of yeah um, i agree i mean it's interesting i mean there's other chat groups that we're in i don't think the conversation of who's got what badge has ever come up no and why no. should it yeah. and and sometimes i uh, um i've had kind of seconds of imposter syndrome and going look at look at the people that i'm speaking to on a daily basis oh, and look every, at the day. I'm in. every day every um, <laughs> day and then they're embracing my ideas and celebrating it like like I'm like the same level as them and the same experience and it that blows my mind sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's nice isn't it you can just bounce these ideas around and people will yeah. accept it and then just say that little bit of check and challenge just to okay not quite sure what you mean by that is that do you think that's the right way to do it maybe how have you thought about it doing this way and it's never a you're an idiot what you're talking about yeah. oh it's because you're a girl you know thankfully yeah. you never ever heard any of that kind of stuff so it's no. It, I think it's just nice if you can find that right kind of cohort and just just grow those relationships. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I agree. But we do need to coach together. We do, we do. I just got one, <laughs> one final question, um, which is: Can you, in one word, sum up? And I'm, and I'm sorry because I know you're going to struggle with this in advance. Um, can you, in one word, sum up your coaching practice? Describe it in one word. hyphenated uh player centric player centric i'll give 100%, you that 100 100 i'll give you that um it's it's got to be what they want otherwise yeah. there's no point it's got to be what they need otherwise there's no point and they've got to enjoy it um i could spend all day on youtube finding these wonderful clips and videos but if it doesn't all link together and it doesn't mean anything to the players yeah i, I might have enjoyed it but then i might be sat at home thinking why were the players all grumpy yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to be player centric. Every angle of what you do as a coach has got to be player centric in my mind, and I think we're on the same wavelength, aren't we? Yeah, oh, I, I agree. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Has to be, has to be for the players, by the players, everything, everything around the players, because they're the ones that play for eighty minutes on a weekend. It's not, it's not you or I. No, no, no. Okay. We just we get the pleasure of watching. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Which is, uh, which, is the, which is the beautiful part. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. You're welcome. Anytime, Jess. You know that. Loved it. Cheers. You are listening to a womensrugbycoaching.com podcast. If you want to find out more about the only magazine written for women coaches and anyone coaching women's rugby, then go over to womensrugbycoaching.com. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, hello and welcome to the pod. It seems really weird that I'm introducing to you a pod because normally I'm like giving you a headband or a rugby ball. But do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Charlie, do you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, I'm Charlie. I've been with Jess for far too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I started playing rugby in April last year. Awesome. I'm Sarah. I've been with the club since January of this year, and it still feels like I've been with the club for way too long. <laughs> What's this way too long business? Everyone's going to think I'm I'm horrible now at training, which I hope I'm not. And we stuck around. Well, you said you said what was it yesterday that you were here and we just didn't let you escape, which on retrospect makes it seem like we've just locked you in the kit shed after your first session. We just haven't let you leave. Yeah, that's where I'm that's where I'm Skyping in from. Nice. <laughs> Don't worry, your cones are still here. <laughs> Thank you. I worry about my cones. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you want to kind of give I guess a uh, a brief insight for people that don't know what our team is like. Do you want to try and explain the chaos to them? I don't think it's in, in, I don't think it's possible to explain our chaos. It is definitely unique. What makes it unique, Charlie? Meg's noises. Meg's noises. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone's attitude and just general like we don't care. We'll we'll have a laugh and we'll cause chaos and we don't care as long as we have fun. Awesome, Sarah. What about yourself? I agreed. I, I I just see it as utter chaos, but in the best way. And what do you? And hopefully, there's some um, learning that goes on within that chaos. It, it, do you guys feel like you're learning stuff along the way, or are you just like chucked in the deep end in the chaos? I think I'm. Like- chaos to be fair we definitely get we definitely get thrown into the chaos but with the learning side it is as you feel like you can progress nice so just what did what did we do let's just set the scene what did we do on tuesday if you can remember it's halloween training so everyone was pretty dressed up what did we do we ran around a lot Thanks, uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, well, practicing the tackling, uh, making sure we get those grabs nice and low, making sure we remember the cheek to cheek motion. Nice, <laughs> awesome. And then, and then what happened? Because we had a pretty, we had a moment where our session was potentially cut short, didn't we? Oh, when the lights went out. When the lights went out, yeah. Everyone else went home. We stayed, waiting for the lights to come back. What we did something not new, because I think we do it quite a lot, but we, we went around a circle and everybody shared something kind of positive about people. What what happened and and is what do you think the impact of that is upon yourself and upon the, the team dynamic? I think for I think- me Go for it, Charlie. No, uh, I think for me, um, it just adds that bit of encouragement from your team so that you know that they've got your back. Whether you're in game situation or training, you know that they're there for you. And it doesn't always be, be about rugby, but you know that they're there. So it creates that family bond. What about you, Charlie? I think, I think as well, anyone that's had a bad day or they felt like they played badly that day that training session it helps them realize that they didn't and um, gives them a chance to see their own positives because I know I struggle with that awesome I I love that response and then just kind of switching focus 
probably slightly to the the World Cup. I feel, but this might be just me with rose tinted glasses. I feel that our recruitment is really benefiting right now. What what do you guys think? Does it feel exciting playing rugby and then having a rugby World Cup on at the same time? I think it gives a chance for people that wouldn't really consider it to actually come and give it a go. Like the lady that texted you yesterday said she couldn't come, but she'd already bought boots, so she should be yeah. there at some point. Yeah. And obviously we kept Sierra and Sarah, I think that's the name. Um, they stayed after that in a warrior that we did after the first the World Cup game that we watched. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Sarah, what about you? Does it feel like special to be playing rugby whilst there's a rugby world cup going on, especially because England might have a chance at winning it. Um, I think it does because it, it it's showing you that that's that could be where you are. You can get to that point because they did. Um, but I definitely think we've got the encouragement from the World Cup to be at us. So let's give it a go, at least the ones. Nice. And then what do you? I mean, because obviously we. We went to to watch a Six Nations game, didn't we? Um, and then you had a photo, didn't you? It was a group photo, but you you in particular were very very keen to have a photo with with Sarah Byrne. What was that like going to see that game? And and uh, having seeing them there, it was an absolute exp- brilliant experience going, uh, especially as this is the that was the first time since I started playing rugby or being interested in rugby that I managed to go see them. Um, so it were literally what felt at the time a once in a lifetime. And yeah, to be able to get that photo at the end with Sarah Byrne, who's been an absolute inspiration to myself, um, been absolutely brilliant. But to go as a team, I think it really brought us together a bit more to go out as a team. So, but yeah, absolutely loved it. Awesome. And then just to, just to finish, if you could describe our team in one word that isn't chaotic, just so people get a flavour, what, what what one word are you picking? Oh, um, absolute mad and bonkers, but it's brilliant. Nice. That was a bit more than one word, but I'll let you have that. I'll just use another word for chaos. We'll have mayhem. Mayhem. Nice. I like that. And then actually I've I've remembered tonight we've we've just started to do something pretty recently at the end of training because our we launched during COVID. So we didn't have any huddles or anything like that. Charlie, do you want to explain to the group what we or to the listeners what we what we do now at the end of training occasionally? Uh, so I mentioned earlier about Meg's noises, and I think now our huddle ends in a howl. It does. It does. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Hi, Dave. Uh, welcome to the pod. Do you want to introduce yourself, give a sort of a brief background synopsis? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Dave. I, I run the Utrecht Shield and Rayburn Shields, which um, track winners and rugby. Um, but I'm a Kiwi who lives about 10 minutes walk from Twickenham. Uh, I've been over here for about 20 years and I got somewhat stuck marrying a Brit. So what can you do? Uh, but I'm just a passionate rugby lover uh, who has found an obsession within the game. So firstly, I love the fact that you've called it an obsession. Talk, talk to me about this obsession. How did it start for you? 
and then what what is the obsession yeah yeah so actually it started in the men's game I'll, I'll be honest so let me take you back to 2007 uh, I don't like to think about it too much because New Zealand crashed out again uh, of the rugby world cup but there's a bunch of us online who were like there's got to be a better way of like judging success and we're like well what if you just played winner stays on what if you went back to the very first rugby international and you went who beat them because Scotland won the first one and who beat them and who beat them and traced it all through and that became the Rayburn Shield and that was the first step and I kind of obsessively was like actually this should be real we should do this and then later we realized that actually the first women's game was played in 1982 in the city of Utrecht uh, and wouldn't it be cool to do the same thing? Because actually, you know, I'm a pretty long-standing supporter of the women's game. I was lucky enough to be at the World Cup final in 2010 uh, and watch the Black Ferns when it was tight. Um, but but we got over the line. And, and so, you know, it became that thing of going, actually, both of these should happen in the men and the women's game uh, because there's a sense of, of history, you know, that, that we can celebrate through them. You know, I guess actually, if I take you back as again being Kiwi, we have something called the the Ramfilly Shield, and it's like a lineal title that gets passed across, and that you have to defend at home. But the excitement back home and the provincial game when that's on the line is huge, because you don't know if you get a shot at it for five years. You know, like you just might not get lucky enough to play the team who currently holds it. Um, and so imagine then the international game. Imagine there's like this traveling trophy. So right now, coming into the Rugby World Cup, England hold it. I'll be honest, it's going to be hard to beat them. But, but you know, there's this don't thing of like... It, don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the Wallaroos, maybe, right? This weekend. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Not sure. Um, but, but the Wallaroos would have a chance in a one-off match of taking a world title not the rugby world cup that's a different thing and i love it and celebrate the rugby world cup but a lineal title that can link back and so like i was looking at it as we went into the rugby world cup and i was like you know there's there's ali Dunn, for instance running out at 15 uh, for england and there's a line from her of winners all the way back to the first ever women's international in 1982 uh, and hannah Brower, who played 15 for that dutch team uh, you know, who I was lucky enough to meet actually back in June. I met a great deal of the Dutch and French teams because we celebrated 40 years of international women's rugby. Uh, and I went over and actually we may, let me show you, we made this because it's not officially recognized, but this is just sitting down here with me. This is the Utrecht Shield. Oh, wow. So um, it has. Um, it's a wooden, lots of wooden circles set in each other, and then yep. what? What are the what are the discs around the outside? Just give me a a brief overview. Yeah. So what you've essentially got is each tie. So France won it in that first match in 1982, and then they held it for six matches before they were defeated, and we'd call that a run. So they managed a six match run. So the first disc up at the top has got details of France and their run number one. They lost it to the Netherlands in 1986. And they were run number two. They held it for two matches and they lost it back to France for another five matches. And you can trace it all the way around until you get back to today where England finally hold it. And England won it off of the Black Ferns last year on that tour. Um, so I think they're now up to, I think it's 13 games. Obviously, they famously won a lot more than that. But they didn't have the Utrecht Shield the whole time, uh, you know, because it actually had been held by the Black Ferns until they came on tour. And that's the really cool thing about it, right? Is like, you might be an amazing team, 
But if you're not lucky enough to get a shot at the shield, you don't get it. And, you know, I think sometimes there'll be players who can go their whole career and don't get a shot. And one of the things I love about it is there's a few different teams that have held it, but Canada, for instance, have not. And Canada have been a brilliant team over the years, but they've just been unlucky, you know, and they've not got a challenge for the shield at the right time because been able to go back through. And of course, Scrum Queens is brilliant. They've got all the data for all the matches and that's immensely helpful because otherwise this is a task that is much more difficult in the women's game than the men's game. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's really cool because you can go back through and go, who's won it? You know, and so like the Netherlands have held it, England have held it, France, United States, because they won that 91 Rugby World Cup, uh, you know, and Ireland, Wales and Italy have all held it in the last kind of 10 years. But yeah, the likes of Canada haven't won it, um, you know, and there's a few other teams that's it's not a great surprise, traditional strong teams in the men's game, like the the women box. Well, they, they haven't held it because obviously they haven't played a lot, but I hope in the next 10, 15 years, they strengthen up and they become genuine competitors and they only need to win one uh, to take it, right? Yeah. And so that's the cool thing is to win it once is amazing because you get to be a holder, but then the next challenge comes for how long you can keep it. And so there's kind of an elite level, and that really is New Zealand and England who have managed to hold it for kind of 10 plus matches. Um, you know, everybody else have been able to manage. And so one of the things we recognize in the central disc when people say, and I will take this many places, so I hope many people eventually get to hold and see it. Um, it acknowledges what the kind of best runs are. And like New Zealand have managed 20 matches with it. You know, they threw, I think, run number 13 from wrote from 2002 until 2009 they held the shield constantly uh two rugby world cups you know it all married together but imagine imagine if marley packer last weekend had been walking out with this onto the field and then my dream and it will happen because i'm persistent uh is that they take it out onto the pitch they place it on the sideline and then nobody touches it until the end of the game where the captain who holds it either hands it over to the opposition personally or they pick it back up again and it acts as that thread through the whole of women's rugby um, you can trace a direct line for the england team today back through history to the french and dutch teams of 1982 who played that first women's international and i love that any one of those players can tie that link back mm. i love that and I, and I so, love yeah, that. hopefully that made some sense yeah no I, I and I love that it's a um a physical record of history and then yeah. at living history at the same time um yeah. just keep going, growing, right? it's it's awesome I love it just just going through obviously you've traced some of the history of it which has yeah. given you a, a a massive overview of of women's rugby what's what's some of the stuff that stood out to you or does it give you a do you enjoy the World Cups almost better because you understand a larger part of the history? Yeah, I think I do. I think it's, um, it's one, it's appreciating how little New Zealand have played, um, but how successful they've been when they've done so. Um, you know, the first time New Zealand held the Shield was 1997. And actually, that feels pretty late, though I'll, I'll grant 1982 feels pretty late for the first Women's International. Um, you know, and there's really cool little quirks, right? Like, so actually there's a, a quirk where France lost it to Great Britain in 1988. And actually we had to then just roll it into England because Great Britain didn't play again, right? So, that, but most of the team was played in England. They, most of the team came through. And actually at the watch party for the 
Women's Rugby World Cup, uh, the France, France England game, I managed to meet some of the players, you know, who were from some of these matches. And that's what I love, right, is where you get people uh, where you're like, actually, you, let me hand this to you because you earned this. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's the, the USA winning that 91 Rugby World Cup. I mean, I have immense respect for the, for the woman who organised and just went, bugger it, we're going to do it. Like, they really got into it, right? They're, they're amazing. And I really loved it. It's a real treat. So, like, my eldest son has been with me on a few of these. So, like, we were there when England were playing at the end of last year. We were at the Stoop. And it was brilliant to kind of see that. At the time, I had a foam shield because uh, it was just an idea in my head. Uh, I'd kind of made it. But it wasn't. And he was with me, and that was cool. And then the next stage was in June, where we went over to Utrecht. There's this awesome seminar. I was lucky enough to be invited. Seminar celebrating 40 years of women's rugby. And we got a donation from them of 500 euros towards making the shield. Unfortunately, it all cost a lot more than that. So I just have a very understanding partner um, who uh, puts up with me. And we also had Oaken Black, who's a, an amazing wood craftsman in Edinburgh who offered to do a lot of the work for us so it's like that community coming together to go actually we should do this and so we took it over to Utrecht had this amazing day watched the um the Dutch and the Belgian international teams play a, a match to celebrate and chatted with the woman but what I loved was all these ladies who hadn't been together for 40 years wound up spending the evening just getting smashed and singing the nursery rhymes uh, that they sung back in the day and there's this amazing video I've got, which actually I will repost at some point because it's amazing on the on the social channels of them singing these songs um, and and a full voice. But it was just special, right? Because you could see the community coming together, and it felt familiar. Um, you know, they may have been older than me, and it may have been a while ago, but they're brilliant characters. So at the moment, I'm really appreciative for actually the journey it's taken me on uh, and the people it's allowed me to meet because they're inspiring. I love I love that. And then obviously you mentioned you you handed it to some players at the at the watch party down in down in London. What's the reaction when the players get to hold the trophy? What's what what are they thinking and, and feeling and what are they chatting with you about? Yeah, do you know that's actually that's a real treat for me because there's a and I like to think I'm not overthinking, there's a moment of recognition, right? Where they're kind of like, yeah, I did do this. Um, and this is mine. And I remember have people go, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm like, no, you, because they haven't heard of it, right? So they were, they were like, no, no, it can't be. And I'm like, no, no, genuinely, let me tell you about it. And then, and then they kind of go, oh, God, yeah, okay. So I'm part of that thread. And I'm like, yeah, like the England team you're watching today, there's a line, direct line through this from you to them, but not just to them, to the USA team that won the 91 World Cup, to the brilliant Black Ferns team of 2010, to like all of these teams, you have a link and you have a thread that connects you across the years and across the matches. Um, and there's something so special about it. And so what I'm looking forward to in the future, because um, I'm pretty persistent. And, I, and, you know, it was 2008 when we first came up with the Rayburn Shield. So I've been at it a while. Um, it's not officially recognised by World Rugby. I just want to get the fans involved because actually, like, the world rugby recognition will be important one day but it's not important today today what's important is players celebrating that thread fans recognizing it and then you imagine right england maybe they win the world cup maybe they don't probably um but but if they do then this 
they will be World Cup champions for, well, three years, not four years, but three years. But they'll only be Utrecht Shield holders as long as they win. Mm. And so that's the bit that I love, right, is you've got this awesome Rugby World Cup, but then you've got this four-year cycle. The Utrecht Shield is a competition between all nations that runs all the time. It doesn't require extra games. It's just on the line in whichever games you're playing. And it adds this like thread of excitement. And you start to get to the point where teams are like, oh, how do I get a challenge at this? And so as an example from the men's game, uh, the Springboks were playing England in I think it was the end of 2021. Um, but it was the last match of the kind of autumn series. And there was a Scotsman who was supporting England uh, online because he knew that in the Six Nations the next year, Scotland had England first. And he knew that if England won the Rayburn Shield, the Scots would have a shot at it, which they subsequently took, they won. Um, but I was like, if this thing can make a Scotsman support England, it's probably pretty powerful, right? Yeah, I would say so. So that's what I'd love for the game, is I think it's, it's, it's my contribution to the fans, to the players of, let's have something else that runs as a thread through our game that we love, that we support, that we check in with, that doesn't require anything extra. Um, you know, and it's not finished. This is a beautiful French oak to acknowledge that French team. So I managed to source a single French uh, slab of oak to make it from. At the moment, I'm using stickers uh, to do everything in it because it was about seven grand to do the silver work. And as understanding as my partner is, um she is not yeah. that understanding quite a cost um, so <laughs> quite and then as i turn to the back um you've got names so these are people in fact the first two names it's hard to see them on there but the first two names are the captains yeah. of the french and the dutch team and then there's a mixture of names of people who have just supported so we offer people the chance to pay essentially to have their name on the back of the shield and to be part of that history with the intention that that money goes towards pushing forward both the shields and i'm pretty open about the fact that they exist as a partnership i call them brother and sister shields um because anything that benefits one needs to benefit the other and so actually that's most true and sad though it may be it's much easier to gain momentum online for the men's shield um but actually, to me, that's a strength because I can use that to leverage to make sure that platform always pushes the Utrecht Shield in the right way, and that it's not not being pushed as not being pushed onto people, but just being celebrated as like it's the sister shield, right? It does the same thing. So let's get just as excited. Um, and so I'm actually quite hopeful that as as I open up and I haven't made a shield for the Rayburn Shield yet, the women's game came first for once. Um, but as I open that up, I'm hoping that actually that helps fund both, right? Um, and so that we can make it happen. So right now it's stickers. Hopefully by the time anyone who's watching this gets to hold it, um, we've managed to do silver work, but that'll require a bit of work over time. So yeah, sorry, I keep nattering, but uh, no, yeah. No, I, I, I love that. Uh, and, I, and I love that your your passion through it is just is just amazing. I've just got one one final question really, which is if you could sum up your journey with this shield and and how it's impacted you in like one to two words what would what would it be fun fun i do it because rugby's fun so actually the way i always describe it is rugby's more fun when everyone competes for the same price yeah and yeah. that's my kind of core guiding light with the whole thing really 
I love the Rugby World Cup. Like, it's so much fun. But it's once every four years. And we need something more, right, that threads us through. And not something that's just done for commercial TV rights or, like, something that has a genuine link through history. Something that creates a friction of excitement as you look forward to games and you start to go, oh, if this person loses to this person, maybe I could have a shot at it. You know, that kind of scenario. That's the fun that I want, not just for me, but for everyone else. Uh, you know, there will be a time where I see, let's be honest, I'm a Kiwi. So, you know, the Black Ferns lift the Utrecht Shield. I mean, I'll probably cry, but that's okay, right? Because it's it's exciting. Uh, and even now, it's been really nice because you see it. And like at the watch party for England France, Bryony Cleal lifting it up, celebrating on behalf of the squad. That's pretty cool. That's a cool moment for me because I'm like, she's a very amazing player but she's also part of the squad and I love that it's starting to get into the hands of those people who earned it uh and if I can be a small part of that story then that's that's fun